Hello team and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. It's Fab here, your head teacher. And today, I wanted to share a common complaint with you. Something right before we start with today's show. In fact, so many marketers these days complain on how complex, time-consuming and expensive digital advertising has become. And I bet this is something quite familiar to you as well. Well, guess what? Our friends at Feed make it effortless to run Facebook and Instagram ads that grow your audience and business online. You can wave goodbye to hours wasted in ads managers. Their algorithm has a unique focus on promoting organic content, figuring out which posts work best and amplifying your natural authentic voice to get the best results on social media. So whether you're after more Instagram followers, trying to grow a mailing list or selling products on your online store, Feed will use the best of your organic content to get you there. Plus, you simply connect Feed to Facebook and Instagram, set an objective and budget, and Feed takes care of the rest. As a very, very special gift, our podcast listeners get 30% off for the first three months. All you have to do is head to tryfeed.co slash AMS to sign up and claim the offer. Make sure that you go and check it out. And in the meantime, enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Alt Marketing School. We are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers, just like yourself. We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello, squirrel friends, and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. It's Fab here, your teacher and the host of Alt Marketing School. Today, I am uber excited, wait, uber excited, because I'm here with a friend, which means, and also a podcast verging friend, which means we're going to introduce Raz to the magical world of podcast guesting. And he's a natural, so I have no doubt it's going to be an incredibly fun and engaging chat. Now, before we say hi to Raz, let me tell you a bit more about him. Over the past 10 years, he has been creating educational content for startups, business schools, and professional training programs. He built over 100 classes about leadership, marketing, product, data, you name it. There's a lot more than these. And these classes have been taken by thousands of students across the UK and Israel. Raz also worked with dozens of educators on improving the quality of their lessons, teaching skills, and also getting students' results. These days, Raz runs Pedagogics, a new freelance business that helps creators design online courses that turn users into fans, and a better version of themselves, which sounds pretty good to me. How did I do, Raz? Amazing. Whenever I go to a webinar, you know, or deliver a lecture, I want you to do the, the quick intro before. I love it. <laughs> Actually, thank you every time. You know, it reminds me when you listen to some podcasts and you have the very, very strong American kind of like self-development guy that comes in and is like, welcome to the podcast. Sure. Whereas like, that's what I can do now. And that's going to be one of my side hustles. Thank you for that. I'm going <laughs> to start offering and see how we're doing. I'm excited to have you here. So see, no nerves. We're cool. We're chilled, right? 
No, yeah, yeah. I think that like whenever there's a mic on, I either want to burst into a song or like invent a catchphrase. I'm inspired by RuPaul now, so which one do you Actually, prefer? Yeah. That leads me to my first question, which I think I know the answer. Obviously, for, for context, I just want to say a couple of things. For context, uh, Raz is one of our advisors, specifically when it comes to curriculum design, unsurprisingly. Uh, but also, we can we can call him a friend. Can we, can I call you a friend? <laughs> yes, yes you, you may. You may. Fine. <laughs> In the pressure of the podcast environment. Um, <laughs> So I know him quite well. So there's a couple of things that I'm going to ask you that I really want to see if I'm going to get it right. Like the first question that I have, we've got three icebreaker questions. And that leads me to what you were mentioning about RuPaul. I want to know, <clears throat> what would be a trivia category that you'd be really good at, Raz, and why? It can be anything. You can create your own. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, icebreaker questions. I feel like as if we're planning a, a syllabus for a course or a workshop. Um, I think pop culture is definitely the thing that I would rule if I were, you know, in RuPaul's Drag Race or somewhere else. Uh, I would win the Snatch Game, I have a feeling. Um, so definitely pop culture. Uh, from Britney Spears to Christina to Ariana Grande to Shawn Mendes. And the beauty of it is that there's always, there's always one reference away from something that is about pop culture, which I absolutely love because it feels it's that insider joke that usually us millennials kind of get because it's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about the 2000 Christina time or like Britney's <laughs> or like that Britney era, which is really, really funny. So, again, True, yeah, right now I'm like building um, a workshop that you and I discussed uh, on storytelling on LinkedIn. And there are so many references from pop culture that I want to use, but um, most of the audience is going to be Gen Z. And I'm afraid that they might not get most of the references. So I'm trying to be as, you know, generalist as possible, which is hard. I know, I know. And it's kind of hard when you want to also showcase kind of who you are, a bit of your personality. And as you say, finding the fine balance between that and not alienating your audience. But we're going to talk about that, obviously, today. So fret not. I actually have a couple more questions, and this one goes a bit back in the past, talking about pop culture as well. Raz, what is the first job you've ever had, and what did you learn from it? Why are you already laughing? Because <laughs> I'm so young. I'm 18 now. Um, so, well, my first, first job, I tried to be a waiter for one day, and I got fired, uh, I think, after like two or three hours. I was so bad at this. I couldn't remember the menu. <laughs> and I had to, it was like a, at the chocolate coffee place. So I had to carry a lot of like fondue and hot chocolate. And I couldn't, just, I couldn't carry it. And I was so scared and I dropped everything. So they said that I just don't fit. I don't fit the wintering world, if that's how you say it. Yes, thank you for, thank you for the support, Bob. Uh, anyway, that was the, the first job. and uh, um, But the most meaningful job, like the meaningful first job, uh, was like um, an usher at a movie cinema. Um, so I got the chance to see hundreds of movies, but it was al always the beginning and the ending because, you know, you welcome everybody and you tell them not to put their legs on the seat. Uh, and then at the end, you come back again and say, this is the exit. But it was super interesting for me to see it, like a different angle, seeing always the opening how they grab people's attention and the ending, which is the kind of the thing that people leave with at the end of the movie. And if we're talking real business now, it's the same thing when it comes to workshops 
and classes and courses that we design. The opening and the ending are always the most important thing, in my opinion. I love that. I love that little kind of call back to, to what we're talking about. And I can see that as well, because at the end of the day, okay, a workshop is not a story, but it can tell stories. And within that, it kind of works in the way that we consume that type of content, just as we consume stories. So I can see that. And I want to publicly apologize because I was literally crying with laughter uh, when you were talking about your terrible terrible experience <laughs> as a waiter I love you very much I just I just imagined you that and I could just see you just storming off RuPaul style was such a I was like well this is this is not for me you're not for me either so <clears throat> it just got me in a bit of a fit but again I love you very much so just for you to know that for me it um, was a trial, but you're welcome yeah <laughs> <laughs> now a lot of what you do actually is about not just helping with the students get results and better themselves, but I also find it's about getting the teachers to better themselves in a way that they can then be of better service. And obviously what we're all about and the reason why you actually support us is because we have a similar value when it comes to supporting people and encourage them to think more, to think a bit less almost and kind of use their hearts a bit more. So my question to you is, what does making a positive impact on your audience or even students, if you want, mm -hmm. mean to you, Raz, and why? Oh, wow. You know how there's, um, well, we're referencing pop culture, but, uh, you know, there's Batman and there was Alfred, the guy from, like, behind the scenes that did all of the cool tech stuff and helped Batman shine. So a lot of times I feel like I'm in that role, and I love this role. You know, um, so the teacher is Batman or Robin, and I'm Alfred uh, behind the scenes, making sure that he prepared properly and he has all the tools, you know, to make an impact on the students. And I think that when he shines, I shine as well and the students shine as well. So it's a win-win-win for everybody. I love that. I love that. <laughs> no, so, somebody, closed all of the lights. Yeah, somebody closed all of the lights behind me. So it's like, uh, I feel like people are shining me down now. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Thank you so much, Raz. That was a <laughs> great fun <laughs> podcast. <laughs> in the middle of my pitch, you know, so it was fine. <laughs> I can see you a lot as that as well, but I know the, the beauty of it is that I also see, I'm going to say, obviously, I also see you as the protagonist of your story in a way, and especially now with the fact that you now support also the instructors independently and not just working with other companies and supporting other companies within that. I think it's, it's beautiful to see because you actually have a way of telling stories that is really powerful, but obviously then translates into how we plan a workshop session and you know the do's and the don'ts and what we need to bear in mind so it's really a joy to see you actually sharing your journey as well as much as you've been helping others sharing their journey too and today obviously we're focusing on workshops because there's so much you can talk about when it comes to courses and curriculum design you can spend hours but when thinking together about what to focus on I love the idea that you suggested signature workshops as the kind of the core messaging can I ask you just for people that maybe are familiar, but not too much, or they're not really sure what that entails, what are some of the benefits? What are some of the reasons why we should craft and work on a signature workshop for ourselves? Uh, great question. Like we were talking about RuPaul earlier, so she always invents catchphrases. So I want to invent my own. Um, so she has like, a, you know, losing is the new winning. So I want to say um, teaching is the new marketing. Um, give me a, a number from one to 10, how good the catchphrase was. 
10 plan. Yeah, okay. So teaching is a new marketing. But anyway, there's so much uh, customer fatigue in a way. I mean, we are already overlooking ads and different advertising and marketing campaigns. Um, and on the other hand, when a brand or when a person teaches people something new, it automatically turns them into fans of the brand of that person and creating a better version of, you know, of your audience, whether it, le- it is leads or already users that use your, you know, um, product or service. Um, so that's why I think signature workshops and workshops and courses in general is a great way, you know, if we're talking marketing to generate leads and to retain customers that fell in love with you and don't want to ever let go, you know. I love that idea. You can also think about yourself, Fab, and, uh, you know, um, you always remember these moments when there's this aha moment or where you learn something new. These are the things that stick in your head uh, way more than a specific ad or campaign or email or newsletter, um, you know, that just uh, you know, published something that you want them to buy. Another reason why I love signature workshops, as well as everything you said, and the teaching is a new marketing, which is really catchy. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that more now on your posts and everywhere. But <laughs> it's also from, um, from somebody who has created a lot of classes and has been teaching a lot of classes. And it almost got into that space of marketing where we have to kind of be sometimes evolving and exploring new topics. I also want to say that there can be sometimes a push and pull to be, oh, maybe I should do something new. Maybe I should create another thing. And I think actually creating one solid class or like one solid signature workshop, again, as you say, then you can market to the masses. You can actually tailor it to different type of audiences is also a very effective way to do it. And I think sometimes, and obviously I want to hear your opinion as well, when it comes to do's and do's and misconceptions as well, sometimes teachers maybe think a bit like, oh, actually the workshop didn't work because maybe the topic wasn't right and such. And I find that a lot of the time, if you spend a bit more time on the actual planning of the content and the flow, you don't have to constantly create new workshops because you think the topic is not right. Sometimes obviously the topic is not right, but you have to do your market research. Once you've done it, I believe that a lot of the, the experience comes from the flow and the content within it as much as the topic. So tell me what you think, because that's I can see some people having that objection and be like, well, but I want to create new things all the time to keep it fresh for my audience. Uh, no, for sure. I think that the, it's always the best thing to do is to smart, you know, start small and find that specific topic where you want to be known and position yourself as an authority and focus on that and start teaching this and delivering it to different audiences and build up on that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to that, actually, why I'm going to kind of go back into some of the bits of the actual content. So let's say we all agree now that we start small, we get one signature workshop that we can use also as a marketing device. Happy days. Now we're getting into the actual planning the sessions, which is where the cookie proverbially crumbles. And a lot of the things that I learned, and by the way, they get loads of praises. I'm going to be humble and say that is one of the things that people say. It's not just my energy, which comes from me but it's also the way I teach. And I'm going to literally hands down say that is all thanks to Raz pretty much because uh, we worked together before, sure. obviously now, in other capacities. So you've been helping me a lot. And this is why I want to ask you questions that I know we've talked about together. And um, these are very specific ones. So especially if you are looking to plan a workshop, you're going to find that these are some of the things that maybe you don't know how to handle yet. Like the, something that sounds basic, but I see so many teachers and uh, speakers even handle the wrong way, which is questions. 
questions from the audience and the students. What are some of the, not even do's and don'ts as much, but what are some of the things we need to bear in mind when it comes to answering questions and encouraging people to ask them as well? Oh, wow. I think that handling questions is the thing that I, you know, when you watch, let's say, a facilitator or a speaker teaching, that's like the first thing I get a cringe whenever it goes wrong. Um, and also the students a lot of times. But I think that especially when you deliver classes remotely, but not only, sometimes there's this awkward silence um, and, so- and suddenly someone asks a question. A student was listening and he's interested. And you as a speaker or facilitator, you're so excited that you fall into this one-on-one uh, consultation trap, we can call it. Okay, so you start this discussion where you he asks a question and you explain, and then he asks another question and you dive deep into this topic that most likely doesn't interest most of the audience. I mean, you plan the session, the stuff that you want to talk about, and suddenly you do this diversion to something that is potentially less relevant um, to what the audience wants to hear. So when it comes to handling questions, I would always ask myself before I answer the question, is this relevant to what I'm teaching or is this irrelevant? If it's irrelevant, then you can tell the student, listen, it's a great question, write it down and I will answer it at the end of the class. But be ruthless, yeah? Don't feel like you have to answer this question. Just tell them, write it down. It's also a great way to answer, um, you know, return to the, the end of the session. And if it is relevant, then of course answer it but make your answer short. And another thing that you can do is, I know that you do this well, Fab, is trying to involve other people uh, when you answer the question. So one thing you can do is say, uh, listen, this is relevant to all of you. Regrab everybody's attention. Don't think that it's, a qu- it's an answer that you give to only one student, but it's relevant to everybody. And of course, you can always ask the other students what they think about um, you know, that person's question and then give away your answer. Um, it could be a good way to, you know, generate curiosity. It's actually funny. I literally did that. Yes. That time of recording, I did that yesterday with a class. We had about up to 30 people. It was up and down, up to 30 people live in the class. And some of them were students and some of them were not. So we do, we do have some taster classes open to either only the public or the students in the public. And it literally happened. So I'm going to put very briefly in context with an example. Somebody asked a question um, in the chat, which was relevant because of what we were talking about. So I was like, this is a great question. And does anybody have an idea of some examples of the content? You know, because like, what type of content should they create, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, well, can somebody uh, help us answer Marino's question, put in the chat some of your answers, and then obviously I'll give you my take as well on it. And again, as you said, I, I do not too badly at this, but one thing I want to say, which probably we're going to talk about again and you're going to mention, it takes practice. I've taught probably up to like 2000 workshops by now. A lot of them are online as well. That practice gives the confidence. So I'm just going to say this because if at first it sounds challenging, Raz gave you so many little tips that are a bit less, maybe like, you know, proactive where you have to be a bit creative that you can start with just to get confident with handling questions. But genuinely practice helps because then you have that confidence and you can kind of understand how to steer the conversation and the workshop. Um, but that's what I did. So literally happened yesterday. That's exactly what I did. And then the person got the answer, but also everybody else got involved in a very simple and low-key way, which I think is really powerful as well. Amazing. I mean, I think, you know, there's a great way to... Practice makes perfect, that's for sure. But there's also another great way for you to 
get these tricks and start using them faster than you know doing it one one time and then another time and then the third time and the best thing you can do is to watch a recording of yourself teach and then when you get to these parts where you see that you are answering this question for such a long time and you see everybody's faces in the recording just starting to use their smartphones and whatever so you know you're doing this wrong and for the, the next time that you are delivering this discussion you know this part in the session you already know that you need to be very brief and answer very direct and short. Um, it's the cringiest thing you can do, but you become a perfect speaker afterwards. I promise you that. Can I re-ask you a question, which you already answered in, in private to me because it happens sometimes. It happens sometimes to me. And when we were working together on some of the sessions, again, for a company I used to work for, what about though, is not us as teachers that take a long time to answer. It's the person that goes off a tangent as a student, the student that basically just want to be heard which we all have had, and I've had so many. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I handle them better than others because even when you, I want to say, if you're a teacher and you're tired or maybe like, you know, you're a bit fatigued as well, it's hard. And I think especially for UK peeps, the Italian in me comes out, so I can be a bit more assertive. But especially for some cultures, it can be really hard to either interrupt or just bring people back. So what would you say are some things that some teachers can do if a student just want to be heard, want to have a chat, but you actually, as you say, you're starting to see that everybody else is getting lost because they've been going on for five minutes just to make a point. <laughs> it's a hard one. I know it's a hard one, but it's one that I know a lot of people resonate with. Definitely. Um, so I think that there are two things you can do, but it's really a trial and error at the end of the day. Um, but one thing you can do is, again, coming back to the way that you answer. So if you kind of feel the class and you see that this is a person that just wants to talk and he's you know, question or explanation becomes long, then you give a very brief answer and then you don't open it to other more questions. You just move on because you don't want to lose the attention of the other students who probably feel the same about that student. Um, another thing you can do, and again, it's something you said, it's all about planning the session in advance. So for example, if there's an activity that you want them to do, think about the way that you're going to ask for their input after the activity and how you're going to ask for feedback. So maybe you can do it, you know, in pairs and then you ask specific pair about how they felt and what was hard and what was easy questions that you will get the answer that you need and won't open it to a broader discussion where they take control. I think it's the most important thing here. It's about you taking control of the experience and the class and the flow that you want the class to go through. A lot of times um, speakers and teachers, they rely on charisma. And it used to work, but I think it doesn't work anymore. I think you mentioned it as well at the beginning that you're very charismatic and you can, you know, uh, get the message across, but you're also very good at planning the session in advance and making sure that every bit of the journey is connected and that we never lose their attention. Everything is always dynamic. I love that. I think it really puts things in perspective as well. And as you say, it kind of reminds us that when we work on board things, even if it means watching ourselves, which I've done, by the way, multiple times, uh, which was fascinating to watch myself and deliver some of the sessions, it can teach you so much. These little things can cringe aside, they can teach you so much. And um, actually it goes into something that we both agree on. Sometimes we agree to disagree, which I love, by the way. Like an Israeli and an Italian getting into like, <laughs> disagreeing on a point is very, very interesting moment. But most times we agree. And on this one, we agree a lot, actually, because I find that it's the same. And it's basically finding or let's say even attending or teaching workshops 
that just cover the basics or that just don't want to give too much away or they just kind of, you know, there's two elements to this. I think the first one is the fact that both of us were talking about how that's what you see a lot happening. And you also see that sometimes students these days actually do one more, but also there's an element that we can tap into afterwards, which is then how to work with a workshop that is tapping into varied groups with different levels of experience or knowledge about a topic. So first I want to go briefly into why, why do you think a lot of teachers struggle with actually giving a bit more out or giving a bit more away? Is it belief? Is that they want to keep something for later? Is it they don't want to uh, alienate people? Because again, I, I used to do it unconsciously and now I genuinely don't anymore. I'm like, I'm going to give you whatever, whatever. I, I know and I can because I know that if you need further help, then you're going to reach out for that anyway. So for me, it was always been a bit like that. But I know that a lot of people struggle with this, actually, how to give more and not to just kind of graze on the basics. That's the first step. And then we're going to talk about adding like different levels as well. Great question. Uh, you know, my mom, she's an historian of the city of Tel Aviv, and she's delivering a lot of lectures, you know, and workshops. And when I was a kid, I, I know we talked about like handling questions, just like we did earlier. Uh, and I was kidding and saying, great question, just like my teachers always do. And she says that if the teacher says great question, it means that he should have answered it himself before a person asked that question. So it should have been part of, you know, the flow of the session. She's such a Jewish mother. Couldn't just give me a kudos for it. Anyway, your question was about um, this, let's say, trap of falling into something that is very basic or fluff uh, when you teach. Um, and I think that a lot of times teachers don't necessarily do that on purpose. It can also be a, a situation that they fell into because um, it is hard. It's hard to do, let's say, if you want to do an advanced workshop or you got a customer who wants you to do, dive deep into a certain content. A lot of times when you are such an expert of a topic, trying to extract and squeeze everything that you need into this signature workshop, it's hard. It's a challenge. And then you fall into the things that are rather basic. Um, something that helps a lot uh, to the teachers that I work with, and even for myself when I build workshops, it's, again, all about preparation. And it's about setting or defining learning objectives. Yeah, What will the students be able to do at the end of the workshop that you are building? What you expect them to do? And if it's something that you want them to understand something or remember something, then that's fine. And it can be basic or fluff for that matter. And it's legit because that's what you expect them to do at the end. But if you expect them to be able to evaluate or apply something or create something, then you have to adjust the class and it has to include more elements that will enable you know, the students to do that. I think I have something that might be able to explain that better, but like there's a lot of theories now that we are learning more about learning how to learn. Like we know for sure that if you want to get better student results, or if you as a student wants to learn better, then you have to practice and you have to actively participate and reflect all of the things that we are always trying to avoid in the university. Uh, so same thing about the way that you teach. If you want people to get more from your, you know, from your workshop, then it's got to include um, practice and reflective opportunities and discussion and activities. And that's how you bring the level of your content up and you avoid that fluff or basic trap. How do we then move this into 
having different types of activities. I love to talk about activities because it's something that, again, when we build stuff together, you really prompt me to think about. And now it's become a bit second nature. Again, that's one of the positives as a teacher. When you do it long enough, you know how to kind of find that balance. But can, my question is, can activities or different types of flows within the workshop be a way to help you when you have a more varied group when it comes to level of knowledge? Or is there something else that you would say, actually doing this or having this inside a workshop can help me if I have, if I know that some of the people that will come will have different level of knowledge experience or skills? What would you say when it comes to that? How can we deliver better with varied groups? So yeah, definitely. I mean, the best way to make a workshop more advanced or complex is using examples and activities where they get to practice. And the more complex the activity is, you know, the more advanced your workshop is or the more, you know, um, you give them tools to apply everything afterwards. Um, the challenge can come whenever there is a varied group of levels of students in your classroom. So I think that one thing that you can do before the workshop is to try and set expectations as best as possible. So there's a description, right, of the workshop and people can sign up or to a course and whatever, try and clarify as much as possible, um, you know, what is the level of complexity of the workshop that you're delivering? Is it basic or is it intro to something? Or is it mastering uh, business models in 2022? So make sure that the words are accurate and that you build a workshop accordingly. That there's no misalignment, which causes always frustration, whether it was too easy or whether it was too hard. And... The other thing is whenever you are delivering the workshop and it's happening and you've got, you know, different levels within the groups, then yeah, then uh, activities and group work is a great way to balance the different levels. So again, it's all about planning. So you can either, if you know that you have half of the group, you know, half of the students are more advanced and half of them feel less confident about the content. So you can mix them up and have pairs where you have one strong person and one, you know, person who's weaker with the content um, or another way is that you can, if you know everybody in advance, so you can divide and create groups uh, with people that are feel less confident about the content and groups with people that feel way more confident about the content. And then you can, you know, jump between the groups and fill them and help them as they need And They don't feel the pressure of, Oh my God, this person knows so much more than me. I'm just going to shut down and I'm not going to listen to the teacher anymore because it's a lost cause. Um, so you have to be very careful with who you assign people. For sure. That is a skill in itself, I want to say, by the way. We worked yeah. a lot on this also for our um, groups. Again, Raz did help us. Obviously, it does help us with some of the curriculum. So when you experience the course, it's not just us incredible teachers. It's also Raz behind the scene that's been helping us, making it even more awesome. So thank you. Uh, thank you for that. But overall, um, what I wanted to say is it is really an art, is an art in itself, especially when you have a group that you've been following for a while. And if you're doing it on your own, it can also feel a bit daunting because you are becoming the technician, you are the teacher, you're the facilitator, you're the group coordinator all at once. But I think once you realize that you actually are fitting into these roles, it also makes it a bit clearer for you because you know that actually I have to also be a course coordinator if I'm running a course on my own. And it's going to be for hours, obviously, it's like either between two and six weeks, right? So all of them are long enough that you want to make sure that the group gets to know each other and they can feed off each other's strengths. Because that makes it a lot different than just something that you digest online. And the same for one workshop. 
if you have one workshop of people, as you say, you know before, I think is really powerful what you just mentioned. Uh, one more note I'm going to make, though, is that just yeah. for everyone, anybody who's frustrated, because I was, I'm not frustrated anymore, I just know. But sometimes, even with you setting expectation, writing your description, writing your objectives, you might still have the one person that signs up to your workshop, which, by the way, happened to us with advanced email marketing strategies. And then I started asking the questions and a couple of people were like, I haven't even got a plan. And I was like, and it literally was everywhere. It wasn't the introduction of the workshop. I said, this is what you're going to learn. This is what we're not going to talk about because these are things that we, you know, we're expecting you to know based on the workshop. So it will happen. Sometimes people get excited and they think, and then that's the challenge. I like it as a positive challenge. I want to, you know, find a way to give something to these people as well without making them feel like, they leave the workshop with nothing in their hands, which is super hard. <laughs> when somebody's introductory come to an, av an advanced workshop, I was like, I don't know what to say. Again, I worked my magic, but it is hard and it will still happen sometimes, especially when they're free workshops. I find people are, you know, are excited, they sign up. And remember that if you do everything you can to set expectations right, if some people still come knowing that they're way beyond the level, that is generally not on you. I just want to say for any teacher who's frustrated. <laughs> I, I agree. I think that let's say that you do find uh, a student within your workshop that feels like he's weaker than the rest or that it's too hard for them. You can always empathize. That's like the best thing you can do and say, listen, I was at the same stage that you were once and I wish someone would have taught me that, which is true. Uh, and same thing, like the opposite way around. If you find someone who's finding this too easy and you see that him is, you know, is um, shutting down because it's not interesting enough for them. You can always try and, if possible, try and involve them and ask if they have an example uh, of something that they experienced after you teach something. So if you involve them and they get to share their experience, they shine as well and everybody is happy. Another cool trick that I know you do a lot of times is you can, let's say that it's a group of not too many people, uh, up to 30. You can always go into their LinkedIn profiles and see where they work and what's their, you know, level at the certain company that they work for. So you can try and feel the people even before they join the workshop. You're going to get a, a group of, you know, high management, management, or is it going to be new marketeer at monday.com? <laughs> a little bit of market research with your students always helps. And, and that's the thing. Obviously, when it's a one-off workshop can be a bit harder, but we do it for our teachers Obviously, I get to know the students, after, especially from six weeks on. But we always give also our teachers the full breakdown of the students are enrolled for the certification because it's not, as I said, a two-week experience when it's six weeks. You want them to know and feel their confidence, and it helps them massively. So trust me, it will help you too doing that market research. Now, Raz, <clears throat> I mentioned to you, our alumni have some questions too. So these are... Again, they're actually on point, they're relevant, talking about relevant questions, but they're a bit different. So I'm going to ask them to you because I'm really interested in see what you're going to say. The first one, which I know the answer anyway, but obviously not everybody else does. How do you balance traditional content like slides? I'm going to call it theory because that's what we usually would call it. But things like slides and written content and stats versus breakout rooms. And I'm going to add other activities. So how do you balance traditional content versus more engaging and interactive activities? Question. Ooh. Again, I feel like I want to, uh, you know, become RuPaul and just give one catchphrase as an answer. Um, you know, I feel like you're being sabotaged by your inner saboteur. 
is this good enough and else? Thank you. Anyway, how do I balance between traditional content, the, the slides, the, you know, um, the delivery of the content, um, the worksheets versus things that are considered less traditional? If it's a, you know, breakout rooms and group activities and discussions and stuff like that. Um, so for me, there is a very clear answer and it goes back to something that we discussed just moments ago, and that's learning how to learn. I mean, theory just proves it and not just theory, theory you know, uh, real life. The best way to learn is when you play with the content and you feel it and you make mistakes and you discuss it and you criticize it. Um, so the balance is really towards the side of practice and participation and activities, um, way more than teaching something new and talking about the content. So it's 70%, you know, 70% uh, practice and activities and discussions, and only 30% teaching something new and showing slides of content. That is literally the first thing you told me, by the way, I will remember it. You're like, cut, <laughs> cut, <laughs> cut, cut. And ever since now I'm the, the annoying person that goes to our teachers, because I, I review the slides and help them out. And I'm like, I, I can hear your voice being like, Raz being like, cut. And I was like, does it need to be said? Is I. Oh, yeah. Or can they actually see it? It's like, no, actually, they can experience it. Great. Cut. Because it's like, I don't know if I have enough time. And I'm like, well, that's the problem, isn't it? Balancing that time as well sometimes. And it's kind of like knowing, knowing what to get, not, sorry, not get rid of, that's wrong, but knowing what to skip if you don't have time. Definitely. But it's even beyond, um, you know, managing time. It's always for every slide or every piece of content, it's asking yourself whether if, if I don't teach them this, by the end of this class, will they still be able to do what I want them to do? Or is this piece of content so crucial that I you know I've got to put it in? Because um, yes. the more you give time for practice and for feedback, I mean, you remember the, the moments you remember the most in the classroom is when you tried something and then you get feedback from the mentor or from the teacher. I mean, this is the moment where, you know, someone gives you, you know, some input about or insights about what you did. So this is worth way more than showing another slide or another tip. Uh, even though it's so hard, it's so hard. Now I'm, you know, I'm building my own workshop storytelling on LinkedIn, and and I want to put all of these references and stats, uh, you know, and tips. And I gotta be ruthless because I want them to write in that workshop. Otherwise, I mean, they will leave the classroom without creating anything. So you can imagine a mini Raz next to you be like. Next to a mini fab, next to a mini Raz, both of us be like... Yeah, the devil ruthless. and the... Uh, exactly. <laughs> ruthless. Um, I have a question that I genuinely want to hear your answer about because, for example, I would struggle to answer this effectively because I don't know how much control you have on the situation. So I'm sure you're going to give us a really good point here. But how do you make sure the breakout rooms are engaging without the awkward silences? I love this question. That's another. We've got two more alumni questions. That's another one. <laughs> cool. It's hard with breakout rooms, especially on Zoom. By the way, there are, I'm not trying to convince anybody, but there are other platforms that are kind of targeting this specific problem where the facilitator or teacher can't see anything that's happening in the breakout rooms. And this way you can really, you know, oversee everything. So I recommend you check it out. Uh, but I think that with breakout rooms, um, it all comes down to the instructions that you give them as a, as a teacher. So make sure that there are no loose ends or that they take control again of the activity. 
So if they need to have a discussion, then tell the other side, for example, what questions they need to answer and what you want them to give feedback to the other side who's, let's say, showcasing their work. And of course, then switch sides. Another thing is that um, I really recommend that we give them shorter time than you intended uh, you know, to make that activity. Sometimes a little bit of pressure of time is a good thing to get things going without falling into this you know, fluff or that you feel like you're wasting time. So think about the activity. Let's say that you want to give it 10 minutes, then give it seven minutes. So let's turn it into a rule fab, um, the minus three minutes rule, TM. The, t- the TM rule with yeah. the catchphrase and the other catchphrase. I love it. I love it. It's, it's full of one-liners today. You are welcome, kids. Now, this is not, again, this is still an alumni question, which I love because I'm curious. So our alumni student asked, uh, Jess, actually, we can say, Jess asked, what was your most awkward moment in a workshop? Vraz, you think of one? <laughs> Um, I think that a lot of, uh, teachers, um, uh, you know, experience this at a certain moment, but, you know, in one of my first workshops that was in front of like 30 or 40 people, it was at my previous workplace. So it included like all of the big shots and the CEO, um, and I had to teach them something, um, new, doesn't matter what. And I had this, uh, um, how do you call that? Um, where you forget everything. <laughs> Blank? Blackout. I had a blackout. Blank. Thank you. Um, it was the worst blackout ever. And I just stood at everybody and the CEO of the company and other customers like that came. And I couldn't remember anything. Um, you know, we've all experienced this, but I was literally so frozen and I had a tear coming down and everybody could see the tear. And I'm 34 now. It was like, uh, you know, I was in my late 20s. Um, so embarrassing. So everybody hugged me afterwards as if it's like a therapy group. Um, since then (laughs) I really learned that I'm not as spontaneous as I thought I was and I need to prepare, prepare, prepare and plan and planning makes perfect. Like if I would have practiced even one more time, like I didn't practice at all. So even I would have practiced it even one time, um, the blackout wouldn't happen or it wouldn't be as crazy as it was. I'm getting chills just thinking about this event. I won't mention any names, but oh, I got I got this 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 little moment of a like little like rat's tear in his little eyes, and then everybody just be like, "It's okay." It's a, you know what? Though I found myself, and I talked about it actually. I think in my first book, um, I talked about it for sure. Um, my first ever workshop that I did in person, which was for a charity as well, so it felt even worse. Because I really wanted to deliver something amazing, but for me, it wasn't even preparation. I just didn't know the audience or almost I assumed that, you know, again, I was generally my early 20s. I think I just started out doing my own thing. So and I was like, yeah, I want workshop. And I remember because I didn't didn't plan for the audience or I didn't research the audience that was going to be there, I did one activity and the activity completely backfired in a way where they're supposed to be quiet and like almost meditative and they were just kind of laughing and, and, and shouting. And I was like, so you can imagine. So then you're trying to rein that back in, but they're kind of going off their own tangent. So I remember at the end, because of that, as similar to you, I was feeling a bit mortified. So I ended the workshop, maybe not in the way that I would have wanted to. And what it has taught me is one, know your audience. And secondly, 
I don't know how, but it told me about smooth recovery when sometimes things don't go to plan. Now, because I know, you know, it can happen. It, mm-hmm. I never had it in a situation where I felt that I couldn't kind of continue delivering the workshop. Whatever happened and a lot of tech stuff happened, other things have happened. I've been able to then find a way to either put a fun spin to the situation or kind of, you know, bring the students in it or the people in the workshop in it. But that first time, mortifying. I remember being in the, at the bus stop waiting to get back home and like people were just going to be like, hey, bye. And I was like, no tear for me, but I was close. I was really, really close because I got it really wrong that time. That's a hard story as well. I think, I mean, I'm reading now a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And it talks about these scenarios as well and how we deal with failure, you know, and challenges. And the moment that we manage to overcome them, that's when we experience um, enlightenment and joy way more than, um, you know, that everything goes smoothly all the time. Because you always want more. Um, so it's an interesting way to talk about failure and extracting joy out of it. I love it. And in the moment, it probably won't feel like it for most of us for a very long time. But I think as we're both a youthful and just turned 18, right? Uh, and wise, <laughs> all, of, all of that experience, um, what it comes with it, as you say, comes a better way to understand and look at failures, if not in the moment afterwards. And I think, or failures and setbacks, I like to call them in different ways. So I love that. This is like the closure to the main section because now we're going to have a quick fire to finish off, but I love it as a closing thought for the main session. Now we're into the couple of fun, quick questions for you. First one, which I know is going to be hard for you because you have to choose one. (laughs) What is one underrated tool that is indispensable for your day-to-day work? <laughs> Notion, because I can just create everything that is related to my brand from workshops to brainstorming to sharing web pages with clients. Everything is on this one platform. I'm not trying to sell it. It feels like this, but yeah, for me, Notion is like they almost thought about everything. So I'm an advocate. Raz, we have a whole episode with the incredible Francis talking about Notion. She's from the Notion bar. She's amazing. So trust me, we're all biased here. Like literally what the students love more than anything is Notion templates we give them throughout the courses. They're like, oh my God. But literally one student was like, the best thing was that you introduced me to Notion. And I was like, my job is done. So yeah, I get yeah. it. I get it. We do all love it. So that's an excellent choice. The reason Very why good. I asked them, yeah. During, uh, you know, COVID and the pandemic, I was looking at different like remote work jobs at the moment and Notion published this. Do you want to be a Notion template creator? The job description is, yeah, um, think about creative templates that people might want to use, um, design them and submit it to us. And anyway, it's, uh, it sounded like a dream job, but then I, you know, stuck to my original plan, which is to be, you know, a workshop designer. Um. Gosh damn it. Yeah. Different time and different place. To be honest, you are the you are the person that I know that at some point is gonna send me a link throughout the week being like, you need to check this out. Have you seen this too? Oh my god, this is amazing. Literally I was like, Yeah, that's an email from Raz. So I'm not surprised you will be the best template creator in the world, if anything. So I mean, they will be lucky to have you. But we're lucky to have you instead. So I'm happy with that. Raj. Now See, if you go from memory or if you have it close to you, what is the last picture that you took on your phone that we can talk about? 
Um, do I need to check or just for memory? If you remember it, that's fine. If you remember it, that's fine. If you want to show it to us, it's fine either. No, it's kind of embarrassing, but I, I, I can show it anyway. But um, I'm a freelancer now. So I'm moving from one co-working space to another co-working space, to a library, to a city library, all of the weirdest places in Tel Aviv uh, that you can imagine that are free. Um, I'll be there. Um, so I was like... The libraries are very interesting because it's like a dead place with tons of books from olden times. Uh, and I'm the only person here. So I try to do this kind of real Instagram reel where I walk through the, you know, different sections and there's nobody there and I'm with a sad face. Um, but then I realized there's no point to this reel and I gave up. Um, to the listeners of the podcast, I will send the, uh, the reel that, the, you know, the raw version of it to everybody so you can enjoy a piece of art. So all you have to do is go to Instagram and message Raz and it will send you the video of this reel that we can all appreciate with with love and intention. I love it. Yeah, I'm all for it. And it leads me to the next question, which is actually what's your favorite social media platform, Raz, and why? Ooh, um, it's hard because there's no favorite social media platform. I think we can all agree that we kind of like love and hate it, especially as people in the marketing world. But for now, LinkedIn is the one that I value more because um, I can learn a lot of new stuff from people who write good content there. And it's all it's more text-based, which is hard, easier for me to convey, you know, the things that I want to teach other people. Um, sometimes with Instagram, I feel like everything is the same like little boxes there's this song that they all look like tiki taki and they all look just the same yes i said it about instagram so try linkedin there you have it instagram yes awesome to be honest i mean and then you can always join one of the future linkedin workshops as run is the raz is going to keep on running so make sure that you check that out too because you never know so who's the last person that you followed on linkedin then that you'd like to recommend to us I think uh, you sent me um, his details. No, you know what? I, I'm not sure. Anyway, it's Matt Baker. Um, so I would, I would check him on LinkedIn. And he talks about writing and copywriting and getting your message across in um, as little words as possible. So his, you know, his posts are also very short, but they're very concise. I love it. So I take a lot of inspiration uh, from him uh, with my own content. Um, so when you go to LinkedIn, follow Matt Baker and follow Art Marketing School and me, Raz. <laughs> ofs, ofs. Last question for you. Before we sit down, you can tell us everywhere else we can find you. But first, if you could broadcast one message to everyone's phone, what would this message be? Everyone. Um, it would definitely be a RuPaul quote, inspirational quote, that's for sure. Now, the only question is, which one? And I'm trying not to be, you know, uh, traditional and say, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? Can I get an amen? Because it's so, like, if you are listening to the podcast and you know RuPaul, you know this quote. So I'm trying to think of something else. W which one is your favorite RuPaul quote? Do you remember? I think it's that one. I generally think it's that one because it always makes me smile. 
And also, it's one that you hear all the time, so it's kind of like gets me into that good. I mean, I like Sashay Away, but that is only in a very like sarcastic note, which we will both appreciate. Uh, but that is more sarcastic. So as a positive one, that's my favorite one. I think then uh, I mentioned this quote before, but um, I think it's very relevant to a lot of people, especially teachers or people who try to design their first workshops. Um, or even after a few workshops, they feel like it doesn't work for them. Or people who write on LinkedIn or want to write on social media. Um, and sometimes they get this sense of like their guardians telling them, no, you'll be failure. Nobody will be interested in it. It will go bad. So Rupa always says, I, f- like, I feel you're being sabotaged by your inner saboteur. So try to detect that thing. Like if you're reluctant to do something, is it because of these guardians um, that want to protect how you feel and you need to get out of your comfort zone? Or is it something that is legitimate that makes you feel bad and you don't want to do it uh, for a valid reason? Then don't. Um, but don't let in that inner saboteur sabotage your work. I love yeah. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Raz, thank you. See, we did it. It was all good. Yes. You've you done it. You've done it. One of many. The first one of many. As long as you remember us as your first podcast, us and the listeners, then we'll be more than happy to see you flourish in so many other shows as well. But thank you for being here. Thank you for being a great friend and a massive cheerleader and supporter of everything we do. I massively appreciate it. Thank now, if people, want to find that, <laughs> if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? The first place is LinkedIn. Um, they can see what I do and the workshops that I deliver, but they can also uh, learn, about, you know, learn more about what I do and what I love writing about. Um, this is where I give all of my uh, you know, tips and tricks. Um, and if you just want to see photos of my dog, um, or reels of me walking through an empty library, uh, they, you can follow me on Instagram. Just search for my name um, and follow me there. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spread the love on Instagram at Old Marketing School. Until next time.